Digital Marketing. This week, it's Jeff Atkinson, the CEO of Huckabye. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely. And lovely listeners, your search for a technical SEO episode is over. Today, I am joined by Jeff Atkinson. He's the founder at Huckabye, which is an SEO software solution platform. And you may also know him as the former SVP of marketing at Overstock.com, where he went all in on search optimization strategy. And boy, did we have a great episode. I learned so much about Google, about technical SEO. Dynamic rendering was a phrase I learned. And we talked a lot about structured data as well. So all the exciting SEO stuff. I'm really excited to present this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Jeff, how's it going? It's going well. It's a beautiful day here in Park City, Utah. Oh. Going into a long President's Day weekend. The sun is shining. It's Valentine's Day. Can't complain. How about you? Jenna? Yeah, I also can't complain. We just launched a YouTube series that I'm the host of. And oh, wow. I'm really excited about that today. It's like really fun, very ridiculous, like Tim and Eric <laughs> style <laughs> marketing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I will check it out. Yeah. So before we get into Huckabye and before we get into kind of what led you there, I just want to know what started your love of marketing and specifically SEO. I went to a, a liberal arts school that didn't have a business major or anything like that. So I was actually a sociology major and I went to Dartmouth College and I ended up taking a few classes at the Tuck School of Business. And there was this great professor who had been a CMO at a lot of really big brands. I think Levi's was one of his brands. And wow. so I kind of got into like the sexy side of marketing. Like I thought that. <laughs> the non-SEO you know, really, side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, models and branding and mm, agency mm-hmm. life and all that kind of world. And so that yeah. was kind of my original draw. I had a connection. So I ended up right after school taking a job at Overstock. And Overstock is based in Salt Lake City. I was a ski racer. And I really just wanted to be in a place that I could ski. And Hmm. I figured, all right, this is cool. I can have a somewhat real job and I can still be able to kind of be a ski bum. So I started at the ground (laughs) floor at Overstock and then my career kind of took off. I eventually became their SVP over marketing. And SEO was one of those just crazy stories there. It was like we went from zero to like 300 million in three years. So it's just a really crazy growth story that I think you know, kind of made me fall in love with SEO and just realize the power of what it can accomplish and how it can scale a company. So that's kind of how I got into SEO. And I've always, you know, I worked on a ton of different stuff at Overstock, but that was something that always really kind of impressed me and made me, you know, just get into it. Well, I'm sorry, number one, to hear about your ski bum aspirations and that those didn't work out. (laughs) I know, I know. So you pretty much, you know, introduced the concept, the practice of SEO to Overstock. Did you experience any pushback or were were they on board from the start? Pretty on board from the start, which was really lucky. I definitely got some pushback, but fortunately, I took a phone call with a guy named Paul Bremer in 2006, I want to say, and I had never heard the term SEO. And another one of our executives had gotten wind of this guy and was like, Jeff, I think you should talk to him. 
And so I took like two hours and just, he sort of opened my eyes to Mm. what SEO was and how you could make these technical changes to a website and that result in growth. And I was just like, wow, this is insane. We spend, you know, a hundred million dollars a year on marketing. And yet, you know, we could be getting this huge traffic channel that's not free, but it's, you know, it scales and the ROI on it is, is just sort of ridiculous. So I remember going to Patrick, the founder and CEO of Overstock into his office and sort of like explaining what I had just heard. And we both just sort of got it right from the get-go. And so we were so fortunate to have his support. And I really wasn't that high up at Overstock at the time, but he was very supportive. And we also were going through a major sort of tech overhaul of the site that I was in charge in. And it was sort of the perfect timing for us to go from this terrible site in terms of SEO to sort of almost like the perfect site. Once that happened, the growth was so incredible that everybody in the company got on board. You started to see buyers, you know, like the furniture buyer hiring a copywriter because it was the best investment they could make Hmm. for their category to grow. So I was really fortunate. I see pushback on SEO happen at almost any company, every company that we work with. And I don't understand really why, but it does happen a lot. I'm sure you've seen it, Jenna. But at Overstock, we were fortunate to sort of just be able to hit the ground running and do whatever we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the moment we invested into SEO, it blew everything out of the water. It it really tied together content marketing strategy and paid strategy and was able to bridge that gap. It is truly a wonderful, magical thing. So kind of going into Huckabye now, and, and I do want you to talk a little bit about what it does, but, you know, I think there's a big difference between on-page SEO, you're kind of like Yoast SEO, you know, keywords, stuff like that. And then you have like your technical SEO. Will you kind of explain the difference? For sure. So SEO is a pretty strange industry in that it's almost entirely services driven. So about $75 billion was spent in 2019 on SEO services. And SEO services are agencies, consultants that are really basically giving advice and writing content. The industry of SEO services has a net promoter score of zero, which is kind of mind boggling in that they can't address the fundamental problems that a website needs to change for them to really achieve growth. And so you just get, you know, kind of stuck. And so the technical side of SEO in my mind, so at one point we had about 40 people working on SEO at Overstock and, and probably 30 of them were developers. So that'll show you just how much we invested in the technical side of mm. SEO. And it really is that conversation between, you know, we spend so much time and money on the user, you know, UI, UX, what's the user interaction, what's our messaging, and very little on what's the interaction, what's the UI, UX for Google. And that's super important. Like I argue that that's the most important visitor that comes to your site in any given day. Hmm. And it does not get the attention of what a user gets, right? I mean, a user gets our full attention. And so that was the gap that Huckabye and myself sort of identified was people are spending lots of money on SEO. They want to grow, but the providers out there aren't often, there's some great agencies out there, don't get me wrong but often aren't able to deliver for them. And that this technical SEO box was a huge box that companies needed to check. And so sort of the difference between like a Yoast or on-page SEO like metadata and what we work on 
we work on sort of macro trends that Google really cares about. So a couple examples like page speed. I don't know how many times Google has to tell us that page speed is important before people start listening, Mm. but page speed is very important. Mobile friendliness. These are like macro trends that aren't going away. Structured data. So structured data is actually their preferred language to talk to a website in. Dynamic rendering, which is a pretty hardcore technical SEO opportunity that's just been around for a year now that's, I think, an enormous opportunity that we're taking advantage of. It's stuff that developers need to do. You can't have like a content marketer go in and like optimize your site structure data typically. So it's big technical changes that give Google that perfect UI UX experience when they come and crawl. And if you give them what they want, it turns out you grow quite significantly. For anyone listening that isn't sure about kind of the more technical definitions, will you explain structured data, which I think is that schema and markup? Mm-hmm. Yay. Yep, <laughs> I'm an SEO genius. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> She's our director of marketing who is an SEO. Oh, cool. And then... I don't know much about, you said dynamic rendering. Will you just find those two things? Sure. So structured data is the same as schema. So the open source movement is called schema.org. And it's a great place to kind of start to get to know what it is. Essentially, you know, for years and years and still today for 99% of the internet, the way that Google understands a site is by crawling HTML. And if you've ever looked at HTML, it's quite complex. There's also now a lot of different languages like JavaScript and all these front-end languages that make it quite difficult for Google to understand. So search engines and academics over 10 years ago got together and said, there's got to be a better way for a website to communicate with a search engine. And so they invented this language called structured data markup. And structured data markup is somewhat like metadata where you're telling them you know, what a page is about and what's happening. The difference is, is that Metadata is really suggestive. So you could have a title tag that says, you know, this page is about, I don't know, a podcast, but it might not actually include a podcast. Structured data is authoritative. So you're actually saying, this is a product. Here's the price. Here are the reviews. Here's the brand. And they trust that information because it's authoritative. So almost anything visible on a page, whether it's a product, a person, an event, weather, you can communicate to search engines using structured data. Hmm. So it gives you kind of two advantages. One is they just understand your site so much more clearly once you layer this structured data on top of it that you start ranking for all these additional keywords. You get sort of that mid to tail traffic, which is the bread and butter of any great SEO traffic. And it, you know, just great things for your business. The other benefit is that they actually use it in lots of interesting ways. So one of Google's main initiatives is to keep you on Google.com. And so now you'll notice as you search, you can get almost any answer without leaving. So if you want to see the weather, it just shows up. If you want to see a sports score, it just shows up. If you're searching for products, you can see the reviews right there. All of those, they call them rich enhancements. All of those rich enhancements are powered by this language. So structured data is, because it's authoritative and because it's universal across multiple websites, they can use it and put it into their actual search engine results page, which is a big initiative for them. And almost every algorithm update of the last five years has used more and more structured data to enhance their search results. It's also what powers voice search. So all of voice search is powered by structured data. So it's this this language that makes their life way easier. And they can also use it in lots of interesting ways, which is you know why we 
think it like directionally is so important. It was something we actually picked up on at Overstock, but it's not going away. If anything, it's going to become more and more prevalent and it makes a big impact. So that's structured data. Sorry, I was kind of a long. No, that was so good. I actually just for a little follow up. So when it comes to using structured data and it comes to Google getting those snippets, do you actually want those snippets if Google is trying to keep people on the page? I get asked this question a lot. Well, not a lot. It's a great question, Yay. but it, <laughs> it does get asked. They're going to show someone regardless. So I'd rather it be my site than someone else's mm. is my general take on it. So if I don't have structured data and my competitor does, they're going to capture that, you know, they almost call it like the zero click search or the ranking number zero, which is that first, you know, sort of block at the top. So one, the click-through rates are actually the highest for these enhancements. But two, if I'm, you know, Google's going to show them regardless, and I'd rather be the one showing up than my competition. And also, yeah, I don't, I can't think of a time that I've seen an answer and not wanted to click through and get more information (laughs) or like see it not listed in just like plain text format. Yeah. And also if it has to do with some sort of transaction, Mm -hmm. um, which is what we all kind of ultimately care about, you're going to have to click through, right? You're going to have to click through to buy that product or set up a demo for a software company or whatever it happens to be that you're trying to, to buy. Okay. So dynamic rendering. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like, I don't know, minority report or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I love screens <laughs> where you're like touch screens across the, um, that's exactly what Huckabye looks like, by the way. Oh, we, yeah. don't use, we don't use Macs. Everything's just, you know, black screens with green, you know, lines. Yeah. And code. Everyone's yeah. wearing goggles for some reason. <laughs> looking yeah. at test yeah, tubes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not that complicated. I think it's the biggest change Google's made in 10 years, which I know is a bold statement, but maybe your listeners will get an idea of why I feel that way. So dynamic rendering, the concept of it is actually quite straightforward. It basically means that a page will load dynamically or it'll render dynamically or differently based on what calls it. So if I call a URL from my mobile device, I'll get one experience. If I call the same URL from my desktop, I'll probably get a slightly different one. And that's really all dynamic rendering means is that URLs based on what calls them generates slightly different pages. Usually the content's the same, but the page is going to be a little bit different. Hmm. Their big change was about a year ago. They said, well, now you can actually, when Google calls your site, you can give us a different experience, which is a big change because forever and ever, Google has said, all we want to do is crawl the user experience. If the user experience is good, then your site's going to do great, and blah, 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 blah. And this goes kind of against that, right? This is saying, well, you can actually give something different to us you can't really give them something totally different. You have to have the same content and the same information and products or whatever it is, but now you can do it in a simpler fashion. So the reason that they're pursuing this is that because of front-end coding getting more complicated and more and more JavaScript driving how a website appears, it becomes very hard for them to crawl and understand these sites. So as soon as there's JavaScript on a page, that page is no longer getting crawled by the original Google bot, which is the HTML bot. It can't crawl JavaScript. <clears throat> so then it gets put into what's called a rendering queue. And that queue could take 
two, three, four weeks before they actually render that page, just like you would within a Google Chrome browser. They usually actually use Chrome to render the page. And then they go in with another bot and crawl it. So you can think about the processing time for that for them is like 10x versus them just coming in with their regular HTML crawler and understanding the page. So that's compounding and that's happening and it's not slowing down. The web's getting more and more complicated for them to crawl. And then compound that with the fact that the internet is still growing yeah. <laughs> at an exponential <laughs> rate. It makes their job really, really difficult. Mm. And so this is their solution to that problem. So they're saying, just give us a simpler version of the site for us to crawl. I think it stems from AMP. I don't know if you were familiar with AMP, the accelerated mobile pages project that they did where you can see these little lightning bolts next to pages on your cell phone. And if you clicked on them, Google will actually host the pages. There's an enormous amount of pushback from developers around AMP and they basically realized it wasn't going to work. And so they on a large scale, so then they introduce dynamic rendering. So now you can, this is what Huckabye does with SEO Cloud, you can give them a flat HTML version of your site, have it be super fast and easy for them to crawl, get rid of all the stuff that they don't want to crawl, like chat boxes and all the dynamic stuff that's being sent to them. And they have a much easier time figuring out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's dynamic rendering. It's really a big change for them, in my opinion and one that we're taking advantage of. And if you do it, (laughs) it works. It's amazing. Like we have a customer SAP, huge customer. They have, you can just imagine the amount of business demands on sap.com. They had a page on sap.com that had over a hundred JavaScript tags, making it almost impossible for Google to understand that page. So with Huckabye, they now get a flat HTML version of that page. It's about 20% the weight of the previous page. Mm. It's cached in a partnership, so it's instantly available with a partnership that we have with Cloudflare. And there's structured data at the top, so it's like the perfect page for them to crawl. You do that across all of SAP.com, you know, that's going to have a really big impact on how Google sees their site, and then as a result, what kind of traffic it gives it. Wow. Okay. Well, segue not even needed. We're there. What else does Huckabye do for the technical... SEO out there. (laughs) It's software. So the biggest boxes from a software perspective is we automate world-class structured data markup for our customers. And then we have SEO cloud, which includes structured data. So that's from a product perspective. What we give our customers, our average customer grows 61% in 12 months, which is kind of crazy. So their organic search traffic and then their revenue far outpaces that because we really do well at increasing Um, more specific keywords, so non-branded mid-detail terms that drive a lot of revenue. So most of our customers, their revenue grows triple digits after 12 months. So it's powerful software. And that's the intention was the services industry wasn't able to drive that type of growth. Mm -hmm. Now you can literally buy a product off the shelf and install it, and you're going to grow significantly as a result. I don't care what you're doing from a content perspective or you know, all the other things we know that you're going to grow if you got our, onto our software. And that was, that was the whole goal. Cause I, you know, I was sitting in the seat at Overstock getting pitched SEO stuff all the time. And there was really nothing you could buy that would significantly hmm. move the needle. And so that was sort of my goal. Fortunately, we've gotten there. We also do have a customer success team that thinks about SEO the way that I do, hmm. which is obviously wow. a little bit differently <laughs> than most. 
And so they have like a whole, like we have a ton of B2B software customers. And so if you become a customer, we know how to make sure that a B2B software company grows. And so they have like a whole checklist of stuff that like making sure that their navigation's optimized, which no software company has ever done. Wow. Uh, all sorts of stuff like that, that they get advice. So it's, there's the software and then there's like the partnership side of it where we're giving them advice that's typically quite a bit different than an agency would give because we're not charging by the hour. We're just wanting them to grow as fast hmm. as we can. That's really cool. So really you're just simplifying a process that was once incredibly difficult, technical. And I imagine it's difficult to find developers who know a lot about SEO and and structured data. I mean, I'm sure they understand structured data and I'm sure they understand that. But the purpose of Google and the purpose of search engine monetization and optimization probably made mm-hmm. it difficult no, to find. No, it is. It's hard to find a developer that's like an expert on structured data, never mind a developer that's an expert on dynamic rendering. So both are difficult tasks to pull off in-house. Dynamic rendering, I've literally never seen a company do it because like imagine if you're a CMO and you're like, I'm going to build a whole another version of my website just for Google, like good luck getting that passed through versus all the user stuff you want to do. So it's a kind of a nice thing to be able to outsource because it is hard to find people that can pull this stuff off. Mm-hmm. So kind of going back to, I guess, the middle of your story, you know, after Overstock, when you began Huckabye, what, what was that like? What happened? Yeah, it was sort of dumb luck, to be honest. <laughs> we started as a B2C website that was, I noticed this behavior at Overstock where people would search for the best price for a product, and then they would then go and search for coupons the whole time, like doing this mental math and checking, you know, 50% of the time the coupon would work. And then you're calculating shipping and tax. The idea was to have that all centralized in one place. So you could literally know that you want a pair of shoes, a specific pair of shoes. You'd see all the retailers that carried it. And if they had any live coupons and do the math for them. At the time though, Google started to not like affiliate sites. So they wanted customers to be able to buy direct from an Amazon or an Overstock or a Nike or whoever. And so we were really swimming upstream. It was, you know, a terrible business model. We were making no money. <laughs> <laughs> but we had uh, built some cool SEO automation software, specifically around structured data, that people that knew me and knew Huckby wanted to start licensing. And I didn't even at the time know the value of a software company and the recurring revenue and how important that is when we pivoted. So we pivoted about three years ago simply because it was the fastest way for us to get some revenue in the door. And we started licensing our structured data product. And just really by dumb luck, you know, we ended up being a software company and now we've grown to pretty significant revenue. We've got some you know, great big customers like SAP and Salesforce, Concur, and all sorts of different brands and industries. And it's really taken off. But in terms of, I can't take like a ton of credit for, saying that I had this, you know, now I have the intention of disrupting the SEO industry. But (laughs) when I started it, I was just trying to like start a company that make money and that wasn't (laughs) happening. So I pivoted into this and I'm very fortunate that we did. Yeah. Well, we found the best of both worlds. (laughs) So y'all obviously keep up to date with Google and their shifts and algorithm and stuff like that. What are some things coming down the pipeline that the peeps need to know about? 
the one coming down the pipeline is voice search. So mm-hmm. voice search, I think, is going to be similar to what happened from the desktop to mobile sort of switch where, I don't know if you remember the days, I might be outdating myself when yeah. there were like trios and palm pilots where you would yeah. be able to access the internet, but you use this little stylus and you hunt and pecked and then it took like a minute for the page to load. <laughs> and so the user experience simply wasn't there. And so most of the time we used our desktop and in those days it was like, you know, a 95 to 5% split desktop to mobile. And then the iPhone came out and network speed picked up. And all of a sudden you could load a page on your iPhone almost as fast as you could load it on your desktop. Mm. And then sites began to optimize for that and build mobile friendly sites and apps. And like in a period of six months, it it like (laughs) flip-flopped. It went from, (laughs) you know, 90-10 to 10-90. All of a sudden, everybody was accessing the internet using their mobile phone. Yeah. I mean, you spend a lot of money on it. You got to use it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think the same thing will happen with voice search. Right now, the user experience is not good enough for it to rival your desktop or your mobile device. So say you do want to buy a very specific product. Alexa can do it for you, but you still don't know if you're getting like the best price. You don't have that sort of comparison, but you can do some stuff today. Like you can book a movie time, although I'm not comfortable doing that yet. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of like, because it's the future and it's because it's powered by structured data, I sort of force myself. We've got Google homes at my house and here at the office and I try to force myself, but really the user experience just isn't there yet. It's not good enough. And I think it's one of the few times in the history of SEO where other companies other than Google have an opportunity to actually capture the voice search market share. So Mm. Alexa's got a huge leg up in that you can buy directly off of Amazon using it. Apple also has a huge advantage in that you can do a ton of stuff, whether it's music or TV or whatever media type stuff. And so it's one of those rare moments where Google actually has some competition. And I think they're going to end up winning because they always seem to. But whoever kind of cracks that user experience where it actually becomes easier and more convenient to buy, to do things online via voice search, there'll be that titanic shift Mm -hmm. like there was from desktop to mobile. And I think it won't just be voice like voice to voice, meaning I ask my Google Home a question, it gives me an answer. I think the more immediate future is voice to screen. So whether you're talking to your mobile device or you're talking to your laptop or you're talking to your TV, where you can talk, it's like voice to screen instead of voice to voice. Mm. Voice to voice is a much harder problem than voice to screen. So I think the next few steps will be voice to screen. And that's what people should be optimizing for. But at some point, voice to voice will be probably right there with it. You need a visual element when you're trying to make a, mm-hmm. a decision or a purchase or yeah, yep. even deciding on pizza to buy. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And yeah. I mean, I guess voice to screen searching makes sense because as long as like it's really annoying to type things in on a remote to mm-hmm. a TV, there are so many ways to make that better. It is probably the like least, my least favorite thing in the world. We have Xfinity here at the office, Mm -hmm. which has great voice search. You can just like press a button and say like Golf Channel or CBS or whatever. And yet I have DirecTV at home, which doesn't. And it's night and day. I love the Xfinity and DirecTV seems so ancient now because I I, I can't do that. I have to type and I have to use the arrow keys. So I think that's a great example of like a company that's not Google 
using voice search mm. effectively and they're capturing probably a lot of market share because it is a better experience. Yeah. They're making it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to throw a little curveball. Cool. Bing. Bing. Yeah. Bing. People ask about it a lot and I think people use it. I mean, I'm sure there's people listening right now. I know my dad, I think my dad uses it sometimes and I know he's listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Bing, like, Mm-hmm. Is it the same? Does Huckabye work for that as well? Does it mm-hmm. have different, I don't know, should you be behaving yeah. differently? Here's my take on Bing. They do almost everything they can to copy what Google does. Hmm. So if you align with Google, you are most likely aligned with Bing. Bing has never made a really dramatic move that veers so far from Google that you have to optimize specifically for it. So if you're optimizing for Google, and it's this is probably a boring answer and and one that you're not (laughs) like thrilled to get. But yes, if you optimize for Google, you're optimized for Bing. I think that's a great answer because it's just, there you go. There you have it. Now you know. Mm -hmm. Done and done. Yeah, done and done. Don't worry. You're good. I mean, you're good as far as your, your SEO strategy is good. (laughs) <laughs> so if this episode is worrying you. <laughs> the one search engine that's really uh, interesting in my mind, Baidu. So that's the huh. number one search engine in China. It controls oh. 76%. I'm looking at it right now on my computer. It controls 76% of China's search market share. And it is radically different than Google. <laughs> Mainly because it suppresses so much stuff, but it works in a very, very different way way. And so if you are selling into China, that is a completely different algorithm that needs a lot of attention. And obviously China is a major market. We have not done anything to get into Baidu. I would expect as Huckabye gets bigger that we will. Google's also really trying to get into that market, but they're getting stifled. They keep coming out and saying they're coming, they're, they're in, but it just doesn't really seem to be progressing as quickly as they'd like. Hmm. But Baidu, there's your curveball answer. Yeah. That's the engine to watch in terms of being radically different than Google and having totally different algorithm, like things you have to optimize for. That's very important in getting billions of searches a month. Interesting. I'm looking at it now. And number one, for everyone listening, it's com, And it looks like there are... I mean, it's mainly in Chinese, but man, that's really interesting. I mm-hmm. hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, just search for like sneakers and see what you get. It's a lot different. Huh. <laughs> so one interesting thing when I search for sneakers is that the movie IMDb was the third organic search result. Which yeah, the, really the 1992 <laughs> film with yeah. Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that film existed. So I didn't either. So you'll get a, you know, that's a, it's a different algorithm than what Google's yeah. using. And then you get sneakers.com. So good job to the person who bought the URL sneakers.com. <laughs> yeah. They're killing it in China. Yeah, man. That's really interesting. Well, we're kind of getting to the end of the hour. I always ask one question at the end for every new guest, but before I get to that, where can people find out more about you? Where can they reach you? Where can they find out more about Huckabye, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so the easiest way and, and my promise that I wanted to give your listeners is if they go to huckabye.com, 
and they fill out a contact us form and then they refer to this podcast, I will personally make sure that I'm on the phone call. It doesn't have to be a sales call. It doesn't have to be about Huggabye. If you have a, a listeners that are interested in speaking with me, just go to Huckabye.com, fill it out, contact us, mention the podcast, and uh, I will make sure I'm on the call. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. H-U-C-K-A-B-U-Y.com. Yep. The revolution is here. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it is. Yeah. And the last question for you, Jeff. Jeff with a G, which, by the way, I think is really important for people to know. If you could go back in time and tell young Jeff, the one who was starting this journey, the Jeff who who first got into marketing and SEO and maybe learned about it on that phone call. If you could tell that Jeff anything at all, what would you say to him? I would say to him the importance of a work-life balance and that a career is a really long marathon and not a sprint. I worked so hard when I was at Overstock and was in, uh, you know, with $1.2 billion worth of revenue responsibility at like 25 years old that I wow. just burnt out. I just was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I, I left. Now, I'm, I'm glad that I left because I think I, I wouldn't have done what I've done now with Huckabye and I'm loving. I think this is like the most important part of my career. But, you know, if you're competitive and you're like me and you want to have a great career, you probably work really hard, but you got to just remember that you need to be sustainable. And I was not sustainable at all. Um, you need to have a, a balance that makes you, you know, happy and healthy and work not to be everything. You can sleep well at night and not worry about stuff all the time. Hmm. I think like stress, man, you know, you think you hear about how like different countries, you know, and their holidays and how they treat their people in terms of like their work-life balance. And, you know, people from Australia get like two months off a year or something and they take advantage of it and they travel like, <laughs> We are in a totally different culture that I think it's so hard to get away from work now mm -hmm. because you have your phone and you get all your emails Yeah, that it's really hard for young professionals, any age professionals in the United States to really turn it off. I still don't do a good job, but to be able to turn it off and enjoy like the other aspects of life, whether it's family or hobbies and stuff like that, I think is, uh, that's what I would tell, um, Little Jeff <laughs> or Aww, young Jeff. <laughs> yeah, little Jeff. That's why I asked that question, man, because you you don't get that when you're just talking marketing stuff. Like that's true yeah. stuff and that's real stuff. Yeah, I think I needed to hear that personally. <laughs> yeah, don't take things too seriously. Like the company will still be there when you get back and, mm -hmm. you know, the economy will keep churning and you'll still probably have a job and yeah, you'll do a better job, you know, if, one of the things, radical thing I th we're thinking about it is switching to a four day work week at Huckabye, mm -hmm. which we're really kind of interested in doing. But which day are you yeah. getting rid of? Which day? Yeah. Monday. Monday. Because no, we just don't do Mondays. That would be the tagline. We don't at Huckabye. We don't do Mondays. <laughs> the revolution is here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't. That was that was going to be like our announcement. Huckabye. We don't do Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll Y'all are like Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but that's like in an effort to. I've read a bunch of studies that when companies have gone to a four day work week, they become way more productive. Mm. Their employees are healthier. They're happier. They do not miss a beat in terms of productivity. 
So that's something that we're actually looking at doing, which would help that sort of philosophy of what I'd tell young Jeff. That's super cool. Well, old Jeff, <laughs> this was, it was really great to talk to you and like learn all about, I mean, come on, dynamic rendering, Baidu, touched on everything, like the stuff Huckabye can do. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jenna. That was one of the more fun and enjoyable podcasts I've been on. So Yay. Good work. I'm that glad. was awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, to everyone who's out there listening, it means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. As always, give us a review. Let us know what you want to hear more about. Maybe you want Jeff to hop on to Baidu and just do some like major, major research for us. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably my job. Um, I'll put that at the top of my list. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, have an awesome day and see y'all same time, same place next week. Goodbye. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up. Because Digital Marketer just released our Canva Holiday Promo Pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The Promo Pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.